Welcome back to God's Brand. It's your host, Puzzle Making Poem. We're here with another segment of the Grown Man's Book Club. This segment may get extended into maybe a YouTube vlog. We may get the Grown Man Book Club to have its own channel. That would be exciting. So, with that being said, let's just do a read today and take that good news as it comes. Page 124, second paragraph. That dick rolling might have been the incident or the black leaders of the race might had reason to fear for his safety. It does not seem to have occurred to Adele, Abel. He proceeded to leap coals upon the heads of the city leaders for tolerating a spirit and condition of lawlessness that corruptive whites and blacks alike calling for a loan fund to help blacks by putting a premium on industry and morality. Scarcely tempted Abel's message, the harshest assessment, not surprisingly, was developed from the pulpit of Centenary Methodist Church. By the crusading Harold Cook, there has been a great deal of those loose-mouthed and loose-mind talk about the white people of Tulsa being equally to blame with the blacks. He thundered, this is not true. Any person that makes that assertion makes the assertion that is false to the core. The crowd of whites at the courthouse said Cookie was not a mob, but curiously unarmed and innocent. Bystanders stirred to action only by the appearance of armed and liquor-freezed Negroes, or niggers, that's the exact words. In hindsight, by the way, I don't have to tell you that, fuck y'all, you know, some grown man shit. If you bitches out here, get the fuck out of here, it's some grown man shit, trying to get our history in, it's part of life. You don't like it. We don't need you out here. We're trying to learn. Learn from our history. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. Fourth paragraph down. 124. In hindsight, it could be said that the armed African Americans did exhilarate the situation. The courthouse hangers-on might have, in the beginning, been more tilted than bloodthirsty, but the fact they showed up in such numbers on the chance of witnessing a lynching disqualifies them as innocents. Would any of them have inferred if a concerned effort to storm the jail had been made? Less than a handful, maybe, but otherwise there is nothing to suggests that Cookie's curious, innocent spectators would have lifted a finger in Dick Rowan's defense. The problem posed Cookie was that whites and blacks had gotten too chummy. It should be a lesson learned once and for all, said Cookie said, that the colored man is a colored man and the white man is a white man, and there can never be anything like social equality between the races, between the two races.
many Negroes realize this and are the better element of the colored race. Two classes of whites were particularly to blame for the blurring of the colored line. The first, while perhaps well-intentioned, would allow the Negro to come up and mingle with them on the plane of the white. These do-gooders, said Cookie, are the cause of a great deal of ignition taking place over this country today. They, they throughout their shallow brain ignorance, are plunging this country into a wreck and ruin. The second class of whites, Cookie said, will have the plane of the white man and permit themselves to mingle with the with the back of his plane. These, he continued, are not worthy to being classed as members of the white race and are too polluted and degraded to be tolerable by the Negro. Such an outcast, Cookie concluded, forfeited his claim to membership in the human family. Finally, he demanded that the new black quarter not rise from the ruins of their old, Little Africa should never rebuilt in the heart of the city. Cook said that it should be festering sore in the heart of the city for many years. The property rights of the colored people should be preserved, and they should receive all their properties worth. But the most absurd thing in the world would be to rebuild it, to rebuild it where it stood. How much this was Cookie's own conviction and how much was driven by the desire of his friends and parishioners, parishioners with the financial interest in seeing the burned district repurposed in a manner of conjury, conjured, conjuncture. His church on North Denver Avenue was practically across the street from Tate Brad's home, a recreation of Robert E. Lee Erickson House. Brady was a member. He also was among the most incited advocates of relocating the black district. Ironically, this first Sunday after the riot and sometime early the designated National Peace Sunday, Reverend Rolfel Crum at Cherney Apocle and Reverend S.S. Kaufman of First Lutheran took note of this and preached on the dangers of ready access to guns and ammunition, particularly in the hands of unruly blacks. If the Negroes had had no arms or ammunition, they still, if they had been disarmed on the outs, there would have been no bloodshed, said Crum. But because they wanted to go to the city armed, were their cause of their own undoing. Kaufman said that Tulsa must redeem her fully as warning nations must to restore the property losses and of the unfortunate is the least that Tulsa can do. But however could however could have expected hearts or wallets to open after such 
degeneration of Tulsa's African-Americans. And from the city's pulpits, no less is beyond imagining. Tulsans returned their attention to ex- exiting painful and topic pursuits. By the end of Sunday, the relief fund stood at about 10000 On the same day, the First Methodist and North Baptist congregation raised that same amount for what is now Oklahoma University and promised to reach its $50,000 quota within a few days. Meanwhile, Bishop Moosen announced the Boston Avenue and the local affiliates of the Methodist Apocal Church south of the Southern Methodist, and they had met their 50,000 appropriation for the for a proposed and ultimately aborted Southern Methodist College to complete with the Presbyterian affiliated University of Tulsa. Church service for African Americans were hurt were held that Sunday afternoon at fairgrounds and in a tent next to Booker T. Washington High School, the world allotted one paragraph to them. The tribute, nothing at all. The world asserted its readers that the Negro seemed responsive and attentive and fairly shouted the Negro songs. But the service were led by white clergymen, the same white clergymen that had belittled and commended these same congregations only a few hours earlier. In this service, only simply gospel sermons with no allusion to the events of the last week were preached with no pathetication on the inherent wordness, waywardness of the black race and the blame they bore for their own destruction. Let it not be again. We put blame on someone for their own destruction. And then preach to them without mentioning their own destruction. It's time.